a few weeks ago, if you remember, you know, has thanks and giving it, but it means more than just giving of thanks. Both in the English word and in the Greek word, it means gratitude, which is the thankfulness part of it, as well as generosity, which is the giving part of it. And so um, that's what the series is, is really the whole series about Thanksgiving. And the, the first talk in the series was about having the, our, uh, the soil of our heart be gratitude. And out of that gratitude, everything must flow. So it's a series about um, uh, uh Gratitude, grace, and generosity. Uh, uh, the series goal, or I'm hoping at the conclusion of the series, which is just this week, and uh, I have one more message uh, concerning it, is to encourage more of our members to faithfully tithe as the testimony uh, uh, shared the impact in their lives when they began to, to practice something they thought was impossible but also even to challenge some of us to give beyond that. Um, and what dropped into my heart as I was preparing and is, you know, wow, what if the church gave 1% extra to missions and alms? You know, or maybe you can start out with one or the other. And maybe it's not 1%, but maybe it's, it's $10 a week to one or the other. But if, if the church gave 1% to missions, uh, we could give full support to almost two missionaries. All right, uh, take 100 people, 100 families to give, uh, giving 1%. I could just call Tim and, uh, um, Tim and what's her name? <laughs> Samantha. <laughs> Talk to him all the time on Facebook. <laughs> you know? Oh man, it would blow me away. Just to, just to say, hey, listen, don't worry about uh, uh, fundraising this year. We're going to cover your salary. Uh, and it would blow them away too. And so, and in alms is, is ways to give to the poor and, and help uh, uh, the poor, and we'd like to find more ways to do that. So last week we looked at the uh, word and the idea of koinonia, and it's tra- it's it's the Greek word that's translated um, uh, fellowship, and it means participation, community, intimacy. <clears throat> There's three basic uh, ideas: it's participation or community, and that means that's your share. It's you're actually participating. You're involved in the activity in some way. You're not just a spectator. Uh, you, you don't, it's not like a, a church is not supposed to be like a movie theater where you show up you know, and watch a movie. You wouldn't walk out of the movie thinking that you were one of the characters in the movie, right? Unless you were a bit delusional. <laughs> All right? Sometimes I feel that way, especially when I watch an action adventure and then I get in my car. You know, <laughs> but church is supposed to be, you're actually part of the, the program. You're, you're an essential aspect of it. And you bring something uh, that all of us need. Intimacy, which is uh, closeness. It's a, fellow, it's a, a fellowship or, or a relationship that go deep. And, uh, and that's something that church is supposed to foster. It's a place where I believe lifelong relationships can be fostered. And contribution. And that literally means, the word itself means financial uh, collection or financial partnership. So that's what koinonia means. So today I'm going to tackle this issue of the tithe. And um, this is something that I avoided preaching on for for many years and and also struggled with just finding what I thought would be a a really good, uh, something that I was, a biblical basis that I was comfortable with preaching. And and so I'm going to go through it pretty quickly this morning, but it's actually the result of years of study and thought concerning how the, the, the requirement 
of the tithe is applied in the New Testament. The tithe literally means a tenth. Okay, It doesn't mean giving to the poor. It doesn't mean uh, giving to church. It doesn't mean putting money in the offering. It means one-tenth of your income. One-tenth of all of your proceeds. Okay, One-tenth of the increase. So, uh, so another way, way we'd say it is one-tenth of your profit. So whatever you do for a living, whatever the profit you get from that is one-tenth. <clears throat> so that's what the word means, a tenth. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, it's based on, uh, uh, well, there's lots of teachings in the Old Testament, and I'm just going to touch on a few because I want to show the New Testament basis for it. Uh, and how it connects. But Leviticus 27, verse 30 and 32 says, One-tenth of all the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or the fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. In other words, if they if someone wanted to give money instead of the actual produce because in that society it was an agricultural uh, society they actually brought the produce in but if they'd prefer if they wanted to keep that produce they would actually have to uh, add 20 percent of it uh, and then they could could do it uh, in, in in money instead of actually bringing in cartloads of produce um, <clears throat> count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. So applied to all livestock as well as all uh, produce of of, the fields and the trees. So, And the idea here is that that is the Lord's and it's something that's sacred. Okay. Now, uh, Numbers 18.21 says, As far as the tribe of Levi, this this, uh, is a a greater development in, in the story. Uh, the, the tribe of Levi were um, set apart as the ministers that would care for the tabernacle and later the temple. And so all of the uh, tribes in Israel were given land once they arrived in the promised land, except for this one family, the, the descendants of Levi. And they were not given any inheritance. And, and this, in uh, Numbers 18.21 uh, speaks of this. It says, as for the ta- uh, tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. So, <clears throat> the establishment that the tithes was first unto the Lord and holy came, came first. That's the, that's, that's the important aspect of understanding what the tithe is. And then, then God chose to take that tithe and give it to the Levites as um, a compensation for their service instead of an inheritance. Right? So it's good to understand that there's actually a differenti- differentiation between the purpose of the tithe and then what was done with the tithe. Does that make sense? Okay, <clears throat> but it's important to know what was done with the tithe because uh, well, it's referenced in the New Testament and it's an important aspect of of what we're doing. Now, there is a lot more in the Old Testament about tithing, and in fact, there were three separate tithes that the Israelites 
were uh, required to do, but it's quite complicated to explain all three different ones. The primary tithe, or what's called the first tithe, was from the uh, verse I just read, which was a, a tenth of everything. And then they would give, uh, not, uh, at different times, other tithes, but um, you can read a book about that if you'd like. <laughs> read the Bible. Do a good Bible study about it. Have any questions? Ask Graham. <laughs> okay, in addition, see, this is just the tithe. There were a great number of other offerings that were required. The sin offerings, free will offerings, Holborn offerings. Uh, I mean, t- like literally tons of offerings. The tithes were not, notice how it said, the tenth of every one that passed under the rod. So that was different than the offerings that were given for like a sin offering that had to be spotless without blemish. The tenth was, hey, no matter which, it didn't matter what it looked like. It was every tenth one, you separated it and gave it to the Lord. But other offerings that you were giving uh, for uh, the various required offerings had to be spotless and, and, and because they pointed towards something else. All right? They had a different fulfillment than what this did. All right, so many people uh, debate whether or not tithing is required among Christians. Uh, I'm going to give you five reasons why I believe it's still very much a New Testament practice. Reason number one, the New Testament... Are you ready? All right. The New Testament does not state its end or its fulfillment. All right. It's a basic understanding of how to understand the Bible is that everything in the Old Testament remains unless it's addressed in the New Testament somewhere as being fulfilled or ended uh, through uh, the life of Jesus or in some way, uh, through the blood, the atonement of Jesus. So, <clears throat> many people misunderstand the whole of Scripture, thinking that, oh, the whole Old Testament doesn't matter anymore, because now Jesus came, and it's just now the New Testament that matters. And the reality is, you can't understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. Uh, and everything in the New Testament is based on what was given in the Old Testament. And so this understanding that unless it's specifically addressed in some way, then you assume that it is still a practice that is required. But you have to understand uh, how would it be? You ask, how would this practice, it doesn't matter what you're reading in the Old Testament, you ask, how, you know, was this fulfilled? Is there any place in the New Testament that it says that this came to an end or this was fulfilled in Christ? And if not, then how is it fulfilled as Christians? And you have to ask yourself that. So nowhere in the Bible does tithing, uh, is tithing addresses being uh, come to an end. Uh, this is, Jesus said in Matthew 5, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament as we know it. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And so we have to understand what is the purpose of something. Um, animal sacrifices, for example, sin offerings, circumcision, uh, the Levitical priesthood, the dietary and ceremonial laws, all of those things and many others are referenced in the New Testament as being fulfilled in Christ. And so we can still learn a lot from those Old Testament uh, things, but we don't continue practicing them because they're fulfilled. And in fact, continuing practicing some of those things is, is an abomination, you know, animal sacrifices particularly. 
So the purpose of tithing has not been fulfilled. Uh, it hasn't come to an end. Now, the second reason, tithing is the only thing for which Jesus commended the Pharisees. I mean, it was like the Pharisees were Jesus' favorite people to pick on, right? <laughs> he was constantly nailing them. <clears throat> but there's only one thing that he actually commended them for doing, and that's in Matthew 23, verse 23. He says, What sorrow awaits the teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you... <clears throat> I wonder if I you know, called you guys hypocrites. You know. That's because you're not hypocrites. You're Christians. <laughs> All right. Jesus called people hypocrites. Here's the dude. For you are careful, he goes on, to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb, gar- herb, herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And so here we see Jesus stating clearly, you should tithe. Right? This is New Testament teaching on tithing. To throw it out, because Jesus was talking to an Old Covenant Jew, okay, would, would require us to throw out almost the entire New Testament. All right? So to say, oh, this doesn't apply because he was speaking to Pharisees and they were under the Old Covenant. Well, almost everything Jesus said was speaking to Jews that were under the Old Covenant, all right? except for like the woman at the well. And so that's just not good biblical exegesis. It is, here we find a New Testament reference where Jesus says, you should tithe, and there's no place where it says you shouldn't. All right? And in fact, he commends it. But you don't do that and ignore the weightier things. All right? Uh, and remember, Jesus said that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. <clears throat> All right. Reason number three, church history. And this is a very, very important uh, thing to keep in mind. Throughout 2,000 years of church history, tithing has been taught as a personal discipline that brings God's blessing. And, uh, you know, the church hasn't got everything right. Right? <laughs> but... It's very, very uh, arrogant to flippantly cast off something that the church has held sacred for thousands of years. All right? And uh, so, you know, I, I, you strongly are cautioned against throwing something out. Um, and if, if the church is in all its different configurations throughout the centuries and different cultures have honored this tradition of tithing, you should, you should consider it. Uh, uh, waiting. So that, and it's, it has been, seriously, the only legitimate source of financing the work of the kingdom. And the reason I put the word legitimate source is that there have been many illegitimate sources of financing the church that have caused problems in the church. All right? uh, many different churches and different um, uh, sects within the church w- would end up partnering with either a wealthy class or government officials in order to receive finances, all right? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it was, it's well known in certain cultures where um, mobsters, basically, you know, are, they, they, 
you know, they're raised in church and they feel an obligation that they, they have to give money to the, to the, to the church and they'll come in and pop down a million dollars, you know, especially after they knocked off a few guys the night before. Serious. Okay. <laughs> um, or, uh, you know, working with the government and, 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 uh, coercing, uh, money, uh, through the government to, in order to finance the church. Those are illegitimate ways. It's not the way God intended to finance the church. Um, and so, uh, tithing is the only legitimate way. Now, you can do fundraisers, but that's not how, uh, God intends His kingdom to be established. Um, although there are examples throughout history of sects or individuals rejecting the idea of tithing. Yes, you can find those examples. But you can find that of any aspect of Christianity. Right? You know, there's sects of Christianity that uh, reject marriage or reject uh, 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 heterosexual marriage or reject... I mean, you can just name it. Anything in the book. You can find some group that uh, taught against it. And so that's not a basis. The overwhelming massive uh, evidence is that the church uh, practiced it throughout <clears throat> all of history. The early church would not have had to been told to tithe. So we don't see, some people say, well, it's not hardly ever mentioned in the Old Testament, so it can't be uh, that important. Well, I would say that the reason for that is that it was already a well-established cultural norm. Right? And remember, the, the early church for the first 15 to 20 years, actually even more than that, was centered in Jerusalem, was made up of almost exclusively Jews who at that point in their history had, had come to practice tithing as, as, as the norm. And so people knew that culturally that the 10% belonged to the Lord. The Pharisees distinguished themselves not by tithing, but by tithing to the extreme and then boasting about it and neglecting the other aspects of the law. So what what I'm saying here is that uh, all of the New Testament, the people in the New Testament um, would have known about tithing and and it would have been something that would have been shared uh, early on and practiced by uh, the church as a cultural norm. And then we find references, for example, in 1 Corinthians 9.13. It says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things uh, eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings uh, of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Well, this is a very interesting verse that Paul takes the Old Testament practice of how the Levites are to uh, 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 receive their livelihood through the offerings and says that applies in the New Testament to those who preach the Gospel. And so we have a key, really, in understanding how the Old Testament um, priesthood receiving their offerings and how New Testament ministers are to receive financial compensation as well. Uh, and in fact, Paul stated it as a commandment that those who preach the gospel, a commandment of the Lord, that those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel and, and not uh, have to have uh, secular jobs. Now, it doesn't forbid it uh, um, because Paul himself actually exempted himself at certain times in his ministry and worked outside in order uh, to not burden the church. 
But that verse gives us a New Testament key of understanding how the Old Testament commandments concerning uh, offerings and tithing and giving are to be fulfilled in the New Covenant. That there is a continuation. Does that make sense? Reason number three. Okay, reason number four, which is the most important one. This is where it really is. All the other ones were just uh, prelude. And that's the purpose of tithing. <clears throat> tithing, first of all, is the evidence of a covenantal relationship. Boom. If you remember only one thing, remember that. It is the evidence of a covenantal relationship. Tithing demonstrates that money is not our God. And boy, it demonstrates it in a very real way. You can say money's not your God, but when you start practicing tithing, you learn <laughs> what that means. And, uh, you know, and I understand it's, it's hard, and I understand that a lot of people are not there yet, and I don't want anybody to leave here with condemnation or, or guilt, but I want to clearly explain why I believe it's something that God still uh, uh, calls us to do. And one of the keys of understanding the Bible about any issue is you go to where it's first mentioned. Okay, the, the principle of first mentioned is you understand a lot of what God uh, um, uh, says about any topic by finding where it's first talked about and then the rest is built on that. So we find uh, uh, tithing first talked about in uh, Genesis 14. <clears throat> it's a great story. Uh, and as I've told you before, most of what the Bible teaches is, is taught in a story form. And so we'll learn a, little, a lot from this story. It says, The king of Sodom went out uh, to meet him at the valley of Sheba, him being um, Abraham, and they had just fought a, a war. And, uh, and Abraham and, and the king of Sodom uh, won a war against another king. <clears throat> and so this was after a war that... Uh, Abraham actually allied himself with the uh, armies of Sodom and they, they won. And then, then they came and met, met at this uh, Valley of Sheba, that is the King's Valley, after his return from the defeat of this guy. can't pronounce his name. <laughs> and the kings who were with that guy. <laughs> Chad, we'll call him. Chad, Chad, <laughs> then Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High. All right. There we go. And he blessed him, blessed Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and you can take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, the God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from uh, a thread uh, to a sandal strap and that I will uh, not take anything that is yours. Least you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. Aner, Nashville, and Mamre, let them take them their portions. So this was 430 years before the law was given to Moses that uh, this story happened. And it's the first time that we uh, uh, tithing is mentioned in the Bible. And so you have three kings, Melchizedek, Abraham, and the king of uh, Sodom. And in this story, what we want to look at is what differentiates 
Abraham from the king of Sodom. All right? Uh-huh. And, and so there, there's three kings. There's Melchizedek, <clears throat> Abraham, and the king of Sodom. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, and most scholars believe that is that was a city that is now or later called Jerusalem. Um, he comes out and brings bread and wine, and, he was, and he's called the priest of the Most High God, and he blesses Abram. He's kind of a mysterious uh, person in the Old Testament. And then we have Abraham, and Abraham's relationship with Melchizedek is demonstrated by two things. He gave Melchizedek a tithe, and he received a blessing from Melchizedek. And then you see uh, the king of Sodom in this story, and he reacts a different way, doesn't he? In fact, we don't see any him interacting with Melchizedek whatsoever, but rather demanding from Abraham his possessions back. All right? And Abraham says, says, I don't want any of what's yours. You can take it all, except for what the young men have, have, have taken. <clears throat> and so, um, Sodom, the king of Sodom, Sodom, you know, which is give me, give me, it rep- and, you know, really represents worldliness. And we all know what happened to Sodom later on in the story, right? right. Okay, so the New Testament fulfillment of this Old Testament story, the interaction of the three kings, is very important because it's explained in this book of Hebrews. And guess what? The book of Hebrews were, was written to Hebrews. Okay? And its purpose was to explain the Old Covenant traditions uh, in a New Covenant setting. Does that make sense? All right. And so it tackles the issue of tithing. And Hebrews 5, uh, 5 and 6 says, So Christ did not glorify Himself to become high priest, but it, it was He who said to Him, You are My Son, today I have begotten You. Um, that happened when Jesus, after Jesus was baptized. He came up out of the water and God from heaven spoke those words. And He also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so this is very important that we understand that Jesus comes as a high priest, not according to the order of Aaron and the descendants of Aaron, not according to the tribe of priests and Levi, but according to this Melchizedek. Because right? Jesus wasn't a Levite. He wasn't a descendant of Aaron. He was a descendant of David. And it goes on more in Hebrews chapter 7. It says, for this Melchizedek, so the writer of Hebrews is explaining what the meaning of that Old Testament story uh, is, especially for us in the New Covenant. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, in other words, this is the meaning of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which means king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest forever. So this is what that means. The writer of Hebrews is saying, in the Old Testament, we don't have any record of his genealogy. We don't know where this guy came from. In fact, he just appears as though he has no mother or father. He has no genealogy. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of peace. And we don't even know the end of his life. All right? And so he's telling us, hey guys, this is a picture. 
Um, Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is, from the brethren. So the writer of Hebrews saying that happened with Abraham and then 400 years later, 430 years later, the whole law was established and the Levites were, uh, received the tithes from the people according to the law. Though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. In other words, uh, because uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, that means Melchizedek had a greater standing than Abraham. Uh, And Abraham is a pretty great guy, right? All right. Uh, but Melchizedek was something that says here mortal men receive tithes, but uh, there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. All right. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. That What he means there is that all of the priests, when Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, the whole priesthood, because they weren't born yet, they were in the loins of Abraham, uh, actually gave tithes to Melchizedek. They participated in that. Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus. Some people actually think he was Jesus. That's called a theophany. When Christ appeared in the Old Testament in the form of a person. Uh, we don't know, we're not sure whether he was a theophany or he was a real person. Uh, it Really, uh, scholars debate back and forth. But it's clear that he represented Christ from uh, uh, what we learn in Hebrews. That that is the understanding of of the whole uh, chapter there that's talking about Melchizedek. And God uses, um, in this passage, the paying of tithes to teach us that Jesus now replaces the whole Old Testament uh, Levitical priesthood. It was actually how the paying of the tithes was the, the um, subject matter that, that proved the point that Jesus now replaces the whole Levitical priesthood. And it says that uh, all of those Levites and all of those, uh, that practice that went on for uh, uh, almost 2,000 years was actually paying tithes through Abraham to, to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is Jesus. All right? Melchizedek represents Jesus. Melchizedek is Jesus. So when you read of uh, uh, Abraham and all of the Levites paying tithes to Melchizedek, what it's actually saying is that they were paying tithes to Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay? This does not teach us that tithing is no longer a New Testament practice. It actually teaches us that all of the Old Testament tithes were ultimately being paid to Jesus through Abraham when he tithed to Melchizedek. That's the real meaning. That's the, the, old, uh, the key is opened up. Uh, uh, the Old Testament practice of tithing was a signpost pointing to something bigger, something greater. 
All right, something that's foreshadowed in Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek. And that bigger thing is Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. All right? And so the signpost was pointed to something, and uh, uh, I think it still points there. <laughs> As Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek and received bread and wine, here's another unbelievable image that we have in Scripture. It says, uh, he received bread and wine and blessing. Uh, we, as spiritual children of Abraham, through faith, give our tithes to Jesus and receive bread, right? which is Jesus' body, and wine, Jesus' blood, and the blessing of new life in Christ. Wow! There's a comparison there, uh, a foreshadow- one of the clearest foreshadowings of, the, of, the, of what we celebrate communion was first mentioned in, con- in the context of giving the tithe. So tithing in that story with Abraham and Melchizedek established a covenantal relationship. We knew that Abraham saw Melchizedek as being someone worthy of Abraham giving his tithe to. Alright? It demonstrated the relationship between Abraham and Melchizedek and it also differentiated the relationship between Sodom the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, because Sodom didn't give and actually demanded payment back. All right? Kind of a big idea there, isn't it? All right? So why is this significant? Because the priesthood of Christ is greater than uh, that of Levi, the law of Christ is greater than the law of Moses, and Christ is greater than Abraham. All right? These truths were declared powerfully by the early believers, each time they gave their tithe, not to the synagogue, but to the church. Right? Now, we've lost that cultural connection because we, we would never associate giving money to a synagogue, all right? to the Jewish uh, temple. But it, in the early church, that really differentiated whether or not someone was uh, a member of the church or they were a member of the uh, 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 still... Uh, practicing Judaism, right? And that giving of that tithe demonstrated that they now saw Christ as the fulfillment of all that it was mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, and that that's where their loyalty uh, was given. So according to this passage, which is a New Testament teaching on tithing, um, it's Jesus who receives our tithes. So how do you tithe to Jesus? All right? If you're supposed to tithe to Jesus... In fact, tithing was always was always uh, was always in reality to Jesus. How would you give money to Jesus? Well, the church is the body of Christ, right? So when you give tithes to the church, you are giving it to Christ. And then also, where do you receive bread and wine? Where do you celebrate uh, communion? That's another same thing with Koinonia. Where do you experience Koinonia? That's where you should give. Where do you celebrate covenantal relationship with the King of Kings, the King of Peace, the King of Righteousness? That's where you should tithe. Right? It's a direct connection between the Old Testament uh, practice of tithing and the New Testament practice of, of living a life of koinonia. Um, reason number five, and this is what most people base everything on, and I actually just tacked it on to the end, is that it opens up heaven. Uh, Malachi 3.10 God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says Lord, 
the heaven, uh, Lord of the heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Amen. I'm done. He has some announcements.